0: What now? Good morning, everyone. We are in Matthew 25. Um, It's a great work that God is doing in Algonac. Dan Stewart is a wonderful pastor and brother um so just keep them in your prayers um it's wonderful that we get to do this work together matthew 25 as you go there i have two things to mention to you one of them is the women of the word start a study in the book of hebrews through jen wilkins better and so um and so that starts this tuesday march 16th at 7 p.m through zoom you can go to our events page and register or you could email us at roinfo if you want to find out more or if you want us to help you get registered Also, the second thing is Easter's coming up, as we know, and we've added a fourth service at 2 p.m. just to make room for the church family. And so I asked last week if you would be uh, kind to consider whether you might be able to attend that service. That being a new service, an an unusual time, uh, we're going to need to um, intentionally work to make it work, just so we're trying to create space for the church family to come and gather um, on Resurrection Sunday. So we're going to send you a survey tomorrow. Would you please fill it out and just let us know. We're trying to get a a sense for how that might look. Uh, Thank you for that. Okay, Matthew 25. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, our God, you love your people, There's nothing you can do for the eternal good of your people that you haven't done. Chiefly, you have given us yourself, not crumbs, not lesser gifts like money, like riches, like renown, like comfort. But yourself, you've given us yourself, Lord. We are yours, you are ours. And so I pray that you would use your word today to help us follow you with joy, Follow you from joy, even through the warning this passage delivers. Let us receive it with joy, Lord, whether we're at home or right here. Help us, speak to us, transform us, that we may be conformed to the image, the likeness of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Matthew 25, verse 1, Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Watch, therefore, for you, know, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Ooh, the music seemed to go with the passage. But this is the word of the Lord. Almost everyone seems to have had that dream where you're on a job interview or you are um, taking an exam and you're not ready at all. You know, you have the wrong clothes or no clothes or it's too late or you can't speak, but it's a disaster and panic wakes you up. Has any of you had this? Yes, okay. And um, and that's precisely what our text deals with today. The most important appointment that we will have when we meet our maker. And the question is, are you ready? Really, are you ready? We continue our study in Matthew 24, 25, where Jesus is preparing his disciples and us. Um, We are part of his disciples for the church age, what's to come after his departure. And so he's tempering their expectations because they thought that his return would be quick. And he's telling them know that, no, that is not the case. And so they have to reckon with their ignorance about when he's going to return. They're asking about when, but what he tells them instead is to stay awake stay awake because you do not know the day or the hour. And so he tells them two short parables to that effect. We looked at those last week, the thief that comes in the middle of the night and also the wicked servant that starts beating his fellow servants. Now, today we have yet another parable, but this one is a longer story that deals with the same, but it's gonna deal with it from a different angle. And the angle is this, this is all about staying awake. But here's what we're gonna see today. True disciples make provisions to go the distance. True disciples make provisions to go the distance. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through this story and then we'll draw out some implications. Now, before we get into the story itself, look at how Jesus begins in verse one. He says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins. He says, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Earlier in Matthew Jesus told us in chapter 13, he told us a number of parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like now. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, like a treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that is cast in the sea and pulls up all kinds of fish. But now he's placing us in the future. He's placing us in the time of the end. Because you see, the way for you, To be your best self today is for you to vividly imagine a future that's really exciting to you, that's really inspiring inspiring to you that inspires you to change to change now in light of that future that's yet to come i remember for me uh, i looked forward to my wedding day to anna i uh, went while we were dating i was hoping that she was the one for me and that i was the one for her i didn't want anything to go wrong i used to pray god please don't kill me before i get married like i was just longing for that day and so that future made me in the present, wanna be better as we date and protect our purity and other things about us because I was looking forward to that day. That's what Jesus does in Matthew 25, all of it. He has three different stories for us. All of them, he's placing us in the future so that we're ready, so that we know that, hey, this is what's coming. Are you ready today? He wants us to stay awake. So in this story, there are six Quick scenes. So we're just going to go through them, then we'll apply them. Here's scene one, verse one. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lambs, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. <clears throat> so Jesus tells this story of ten virgins, a groom, and a wedding. Now, we would probably call them bridesmaids, right? These are the bridesmaids. There are a lot of things that we don't know about first century Palestine culture as it relates to wedding celebrations. It seems that the festivities went on for a number of days. That's still the case in some cultures. And this perhaps is part of a procession that the bridesmaids are gonna do with the groom. There's a lot we don't know, and that's fine because we don't need to know those details. Right away, however, there's something we do know, and that's that there's a difference among the bridesmaids. Half of them take lambs with oil and half of them do not take flasks of oil. They just take the lambs. So the ones that took lambs without oil, Jesus calls foolish. The ones that took the lambs with oil, he called wise. So that's how he's setting up the story for us. Scene number two, verse five. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Now, you know that good stories always have unexpected turns or obstacles to be overcome. Well, in our story here, the obstacle, the the turn is that the bridegroom is delayed. Maybe he took longer shaving. Maybe he played one too many rounds of cornhole. Whatever it might have been, he's not there. But so what happens is the the bridesmaids get tired and they fall asleep. That's not a problem though, because they all fall asleep. The wise and the foolish. Scene three, verse six. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. So the announcement gets made that the bridegroom is in sight. He's almost here. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. But it's midnight, it's midnight. And they've been sleeping, so they have to get up and they have to get themselves ready and get their lamps ready, trim their lamps because I'm sure it was pitch black. By the way, it's so dark to drive in Michigan at night. Have you noticed this? For anyone that's lived in a different state, Michiganders are getting gypped with their street lights. I'm telling you, it's dark, but that's different. Kind of related. The point is, it's dark and they need their lamps to work. Scene four, verse seven. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lambs are going out. But the wise answer saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Okay, so now it seems that the foolish five for the first time realize they've got a problem. They don't have oil. Their lamps are not gonna work. Like a phone without a battery, a lamp without oil is useless. Useless, they're not ready. They start trimming their lamps and they realize we have no oil. We've got a problem. And their solution is to go to the ones that have oil and ask him, hey, give us some of your oil. But remember, the wise ones are called wise for a reason. And they say, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. There's not gonna be enough for you and for us. Go go to the market, they have oil, you can get it from them. Now you may say, that's mean, that's selfish, but that's not the point of the story. You gotta stay with where Jesus is going. The point is that he's letting us know more of why these foolish ones are not ready when the bridegroom arrives, which is what happens next. Scene five, verse 10. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Okay, so this scene captures the joy of the marriage feast. It's a wonderful time. You know, Last uh, yesterday, right here, I married Josh and Lindsay, and it was awesome, and there was joy on their faces. I get the best seat, because they're like right there. Like, if we have COVID, we gave it to each other. I mean, it was like right here, but they were so excited. You know, They there's like like almost crying, but it's cries of joy because the the moment is so powerful. It's a solemn vow. But this scene also captures the tragedy of exclusion because the door is shut. The door is closed. We only like doors to be closed when we're in the inside, protecting us, keeping out those we don't want in with us. And so finally we get to the point that this story has been building up to In scene 6, verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. When the foolish five get there, it's too late. The door is closed there. They find themselves on the outside of the wedding party. They can't get in. Now, it's very interesting that in verse 11, Jesus begins to exit the parable, the, the literary world of the story and enter into the real world, the human world of his audience. How does he do this? He does this in a number of ways. First, the women say, Lord, Lord, open to us. They don't say, groom, groom, open to us. This has been, this, that, that phrase, Lord, Lord, has been used in Matthew before, in Matthew 7. When Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And there the reference was also about being allowed to enter. The Foolish Five says, say, open to us. Again, earlier in Matthew, Jesus says, knock and it will be opened to you. And so here we hear that resonance with a tinge of sadness because they are knocking, but the door will not be opened to them. Then verse 12 says, but he answered, he, who is he? The groom or the Lord? It's ambiguous. And one says, we're still in this story. We're still talking about the bridesmaids. But in another sense, there's only one person who's called Lord in the gospel of Matthew. And then the last two things, the groom or the Lord says to the foolish five is, truly I say to you, which is a phrase Jesus often uses in Matthew to emphasize what he's about to say. And then he says, I do not know you, which again, he has said before to those who had done a number of things, apparently in his name, but he did not know them. And so he says, I never knew you in Matthew 7. All that to say that even as the story is coming to an end, Jesus is already beginning to exit the story and apply it to us. And then he delivers the same warning that he did in chapter 24. And it's in verse 13. He says, watch therefore, same word translated, stay awake. Stay awake, watch, for you know neither the day nor the hour. True disciples make provisions to go the distance. Let's say three things, three implications from this story. First, superficial discipleship will prove insufficient. Superficial discipleship will prove insufficient. Jesus knew that his days on earth were over. He's gone. He's leaving. And so he's preparing the leaders, his disciples, the leaders of the church for what will come and the trials that that will come in the days ahead. And he's preparing us for the same. The foolish five took the lambs just as the wise ones did, but they did not take oil with them. The way they're described to us, as I said before, it appears that they realize they have a problem after midnight, after they take their nap. In his ministry, Jesus warns of the appearance of faith. This is a big deal, the appearance of faith. Matthew 7, as I said before, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, many people think they're right with God, but they're in for a big surprise. The foolish women in this story are meant to illustrate this tragic type of person. People who are around the faith, like all of us are here around the faith. They were present the whole time. They take their lamps. They want to see the, brideg- uh, the bridegroom. They, they, uh, they wait. They fall asleep like the rest. But in the end, they don't belong because they did not get ready and the groom does not know them. Now, as a pastor, it worries me that there are many people who are like this, who think they're okay with God, but on the day that he, they meet him, He will say, I never knew you. I know this is true because scripture says it, but also I've met many people that are like this. I've met people who um, some years ago thought they were Christians, okay? But then they became Christians, like they actually came to Christ. And now as they look back on those years prior, they see it as empty obedience. It's as if in those years, they could only see black, white, grays. Those were the only colors they saw, the only colors they thought existed. If you pointed at some beautiful, colorful flowers and told them, hey, look at those beautiful, colorful flowers. Aren't they so beautiful and colorful? They would have said, yes, they're so beautiful and colorful, but all they would be seeing would be black and white and gray. Now, let me read you parts of two testimonies from people who came awake to the glory of Christ. And I just want you to hear the difference. Recounting his religious experiences, one person says, I set my foot in a countless number of churches all over the world just to light a candle. But when I came to Woodside, it lighted me. The power of God enlightened me. And he goes on to talk about the freedom and joy of experiencing Christ. Another person writes, I was raised to know God, but somewhere along the line, I got lost. For years, I lived as a good person, simply following the rules. Around high school, I noticed others thriving in a loving relationship with Jesus, whereas my experience with God was more like a giant taskmaster in the sky. And then you fast forward to the work of power by God's spirit, and this person just uh, having an encountering with Christ, and then they say, in his loving kindness, he laid bare my empty obedience brought me to my knees in repentance and forgave my prideful, idolatrous, self-righteous heart. People are doing empty, empty obedience. They don't describe themselves like that. He enveloped me in his presence and love. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that so wonderful? But here's what I want us to notice. These people were around the faith. They were around. They were going to churches all over the world, lighting candles, following rules to appease the giant taskmaster in the sky, but they were far from God. And then they came to God. Then God did something amazing in their lives. And once God enlightened them, they were able to say, what I was doing before was empty obedience. What I was doing before was empty religion. But now I see the difference. That was black and white and gray. Now I see the rainbow. See, superficial discipleship will prove insufficient when we meet our maker. Don't think that being around the faith will save you. Does Jesus know you? If you sense in yourself empty obedience, please hear this. If you sense in yourself that you just kind of, just kind of go along following the rules but you haven't come undone by your sin, you would not easily talked about your proud, your self-righteous heart, your idolatrous heart. If you haven't been remade by the blood of Christ, and that's it, you stand on the blood, that's it. That's your only claim to faith, Christ. That's where you stand. That's all you have to shield you from the wrath of God. That's all you have to give you significance and true safety. That's where you run to again and again and again. That hasn't happened, you need to heed. You need to heed Christ's warning right here. Are you enveloped by his presence and love? Do you know yourself to be so loved by your maker or, Do you complain? Do you just go complaining about your life? How it's not what you want it to be? Or are you amazed, amazed at your savior? Superficial discipleship will prove insufficient. Number two, delays test us. Delays test us. True disciples make provisions to go the distance. There's a kind of discipleship that's superficial and it doesn't last. The foolish five and their foolishness was exposed only, did you notice? Only when the groom was delayed. That's when their foolishness was exposed. Before that, at first, all the, bride, the bridesmaids seemed to be the same. They all wanted to see the bridegroom. They all took lamps. They all waited. They all fell asleep. So far, so good. It's in the delay that the cracks in the foundation began to show. Jesus has already spoken about this kind of person earlier in Matthew. The rocky soil, the parable of the soils in Matthew 13, describes the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. In Matthew 24, so that was in, Chapter 13, in Matthew 24, Jesus warns that persecution is coming, and therefore he's preparing us to face the dangers ahead so we can be strong, because here's the thing, without deep roots, we won't last. Without deep roots, we won't last. Tests do come. They come. The disciples thought the time between Christ's departure and his return was short, and he tells them, settle down, settle down. Many things are gonna happen and the end, still not yet. But you see, if there's something that you really want in your life, something you're really f- looking forward to and it's delayed, it tests your resolve. It just does. You know, the 27 years that I followed Christ, I've definitely had times so now I'm like, is he coming back? Is this making a difference? What if I go the way of sin for a little while and then turn again? What if? I know you've had those thoughts. I've had them, even with preaching. Like I feel the challenge even with preaching, like, okay, is it making a difference if I give it my all this Sunday? What about next Sunday? What about the Sunday after that? Is that doing anything? And I know that it does because I believe God and I believe his word, but those things do happen, right? As you face the future and you're like, man, There's hope deferred in my life. There's something I really want and it's not coming my way. You could be waiting for Christ. You could be waiting for a spouse. You could be waiting for a better job, whatever it may be. It's gonna test your resolve. And so are we waiting? Are we ready to wait? Can we wait with faith? Will our faith be more vigorous 10 years from now? What about 20? What about 20 years from now? Will the Lord find us awake? Doing what he left us to do. You have to reach deep if you're gonna go the distance. And so let me commend this to you. Maybe you're dull, dull in your faith. You just feel like, you know what? I'm doing the things that I know to do to follow God, but I just feel like this, I'm kind of numb. Maybe the last 12 months left you numb. I know I have to check that in myself. Because it's easier for me to become numb or dull than it is for me to go and, I don't know, do some of the obvious things that are wrong. But maybe you're being tested by hope deferred, something you've really been praying for, wanting for a long time and it's not coming your way, or you're being tested by specific temptation or sin. Can I put before you, as we look toward Good Friday and Easter, Fast. Fast. And I'm not saying give up your electronics or whatever, like that has a place too. I'm saying go without food. That's what fasting proper is. Go without food a couple of times a week or whatever, 24 hours. But do that. What will happen is your flesh will get weaker, your spirit stronger, and you hunger more for God. You will. You'll see it. The Lord gave us fasting for a reason, and we don't do it enough. We love our food. Love it. And it's not helping us. So fast. Fasting leading up to Easter. Finally, preparation can't be borrowed preparation cannot be borrowed. The foolish five, did you see that? They tried to feed off of the preparation of the wise ones. Uh-uh, it doesn't work. Second Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one, each one may receive what is due for what he or she has done in the body, whether good or evil. Each one of us answers to God for what we've done, who we are. Our children cannot borrow our faith when they stand before God. Your friends can't get you to heaven. Preparation can't be borrowed when it comes to God, when we meet him. You see, the foolish ones took lambs, but they did not take the oil, but the wise ones did. In fact, the way that verse four reads, it almost seems like the wise ones first took the flasks with oil with their lamps they knew that the lamp without oil was useless but to the foolish ones the lamp was obvious the oil was not you see people so often start following Christ without counting the cost without thinking through the demands that he makes on our lives and so we're we're not prepared We haven't thought it through, so we're not prepared. We don't think it through how radically differently Jesus calls us to think about money. We don't think it through. And so many of us just kind of keep holding tight because we haven't thought it through. Martin Luther said, a person must go through three conversions of the head, of the heart, and of the purse. What he's getting at is that we are slow getting there when it comes to our money. And by the way, we're doing a whole series on giving after Easter, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's gonna be so good. But it's so good for us because because we can partition. We live in the West, so we live very compartmentalized lives. We can partition the spiritual and what we do materially. And Christ will just not let us do that. So it's gonna be a great thing for us. But here's the thing, there are so many of you in this church in the last five years, it's been amazing to watch you give. So many of you are so generous. And I know that you're generous in many other places besides the church, and it's beautiful. But each year, this church right here has given more and more and more. And yes, more people are coming and praise God for that. But also, more of the same ones of us are giving more, as it should be as we're growing in our discipleship. But we have to think it through. We have to think it through when it comes to the life of hospitality that Jesus calls us to, opening our lives and our homes to others, showing hospitality to strangers. See, we may think like, yeah, once in a while, I may let someone into my house. Jesus says, no, all of it, all of it is mine. All of it is for the healing of the nations. All of it is for my brothers and sisters, not to indulge your comfort but we don't think it through. Now, some of you, many of you are so giving with your lives, with your homes, you just open it up. It's like a hotel in there and it's beautiful and it leaves you exhausted, but you know that it's what God has called you to. But sometimes we don't think it through. We don't think it through when it comes to our loyalties. We think that the gospel sits very cozy with our political party, whether to the right or to the left. And we fail to remember that the gospel always, listen, always brings critique to the structures, all of the structures of man, all of them, whether in ancient Rome or in modern America. This is a big deal, you guys, because we're starting to define ourselves by ideology after ideology after ideology in our country. And we're, we're starting to say, put all these tests, all these tests that we have for people as to whether we can stand them or not. And so we come up with all these tests and it's toxic for how to live together as a people. But we can start being like, okay, what do you think about masks? What do you think about vaccines? What do you think about Trump? What do you think about Biden? What do you think about the police? What do you think about race? And oh, watch your answers so carefully because I'm listening for keywords. And if you so much as say them, I'm gonna wish you and the whole lot of you to be shipped to Australia. <laughs> Our country would be better off without you all. What are we doing? What are we doing? Listen, there is one test and there's only one who passes the test, Christ. The rest of us are a mess. The rest of us are messed up. How dare we come up with some kind of test that he did not put up? Listen, Christ is big enough for the whole world. For the whole world. Now, let me just say briefly that I am so proud of my church, of you guys, because in this whole last 12 months, with so many things that life has thrown at us, there have you guys have first and foremost been peacemakers. And I love that. Peacemakers. Some of you have worn masks, even though you would have never done that. But because you because you care for others. You, you're, you're bearing. We're bearing with one another. We've done this well. Hang tight. I know people are tired. I do believe that God will see us through. But the gospel goes first. People start making all these divisions over. Smaller things, I'm not saying they're not important, they're just so much smaller. But you see, we don't think it through. We think through the more obvious, do not lie, but we're slower to surrender all of our speech to Christ and the words we deliver that give death and disdain to others. And we could go issue after issue after issue, but ask yourself, What area in your life would Jesus look at you and say, you have a lamp, you have no oil. You haven't thought it through in light of my gospel. Because you see, true discipleship means that every inch of our existence belongs to the king. He is watching, we will stand before him, we will answer. True disciples make provisions to go the distance. Listen, at the end of the day, there's only one question that matters. When everything is said and done about your life, when we've won and we've lost, when our strength is gone, there's only one thing, one question that matters. Does Jesus know you? That's it. There's nothing else. Does he know you? If the answer is yes, nothing else matters. If the answer is no, nothing else matters. You could have the world, but if he doesn't know you, you have nothing. You could have nothing, but if he knows you, you have everything for eternity. That's all that matters. Does he know you? He says to the foolish five, the groom does, the bridegroom says, I tell you, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Listen, that is the one thing Jesus does not want to say to you when he meets you. He doesn't want to say that to you or to anyone. It's why he came. It's why he bled. It's why he went through the cross so that he would not have to cast anyone away. His return will be a feast, a marriage feast, a wedding feast, joy, delight, unending pleasure at his right side. That's what it will be. Well, how tragic for those who are far from Christ, do not know him and will have the door slammed in their face. After the last service, someone came to me and said, my father, he's 85, he's dying, he doesn't know the Lord, how? Just don't tell him, tell him the gospel in simple sentences. Talk to him, plead with him. And I plead with you. Christ does not want to tell you, I do not know you, but come to him. If you sense in yourself any empty obedience, empty religion, come, come to him. Do not stay in that place. Throw yourself upon Christ, that man's father in, their, in his bed at the hospital at 85. He doesn't have to move a finger and Christ can receive him and will receive him. But we must believe in him. We must say, you are my salvation. You are my master. I trust you, I wanna be with you for all eternity. I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you take me. Stay awake. In the last few days of his life, in the gospel of Matthew, as he gives it to us, Jesus said that word six times. Watch, stay awake, same thing. Three times he says it in the the Discourse that we're studying right here in Matthew 24 and 25 to prepare his disciples for what's coming, the trials ahead, the, the length of the age, and to not give themselves to other things, to vain things, not get distracted, not get too busy. Stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. But then he says it three other times in the Garden of Gethsemane. In that hour right before he's arrested and he comes to them and says stay awake with me could you not stay awake with me for one hour then he tells them stay awake and pray that you will not enter into temptation do you see stay awake with me with me he calls us to stay awake, but he's, he's awake with us. Just because we can't see him doesn't mean he's checked out. He's gathering his church. He's gathering you. He called you to himself. He's gonna keep you until the end. And he's looking in your eyes and saying, stay awake with me. There's a lesson there for us in what he does in the Olivet Discourse, stay awake, and what he does in Gethsemane. And that is... We will not go the distance to the end if in the here and now, we do not take the spiritual battle seriously. Are you ready? Does Jesus know you? Has he saved you from your sins? True disciples make provisions to go the distance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your beautiful word. Thank you, oh God. Thank you, Jesus, for repetition. Thank you for talking to us again and again and again about the same kinds of things. You did not want us to lose faith. You did not want our love to grow cold. You wanted us to stay awake, to be firm, to endure to the end. And so, Father, I pray that you would do just that through that word for this, your people. Father, I pray for those who have never known you. Maybe they've known empty tradition, empty religion, empty obedience. Maybe they've followed some rules to try to keep you at bay or, or, or happy or appease you. But they've never been enveloped in your presence. They've never been enveloped in your love. They've never been able to see the depth of their sin and the height of your love for them in Christ. And I pray that for any of them here today, that today would be the day. Save them, oh God. Let them respond with simple faith and give themselves to you. And for the rest of us, oh Lord, maybe we're dull, numb. Maybe the last 12 months just left us. Oof. Lord, would you call us into fasting? so that the spirit may be strengthened and the flesh weakened. And so that our hunger for you, O oh God, may grow stronger. And rather than just living our black and gray and white Christian life, we would see the rainbow, we would see all of the colors, we would see Christ in all his beauty. We love you, we trust you. Our savior, in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org to introduce yourself to us today.